Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. I think it's about episode 48. I can't believe we're almost at the 52, which means we've almost been going a year. Anyway, this week... I had a bit of a change up of plans this week. I have mapped out the things that I'd like to talk about over certain months and they kind of coincide with what I'm doing on the farm. But this one kind of came up as an issue because it just kept popping up and rearing its ugly little head. Now, I'm going to warn you all straight up. This episode might be a bit confrontational to some and there will be some people who listen to it and go, what the fuck? She is not what I thought she was and I don't want to listen to her. And if that's the case, that is more than okay. I don't think anybody should force themselves to align with somebody who doesn't kind of have the same values as them. So so if that's the case, I won't be offended. <laughs> I won't be bothered by it. And just, yeah don't listen again kind of thing or turn it off halfway through if you want to listen to my other episodes but you don't want to listen to this one go right ahead but the reason this one came about is because um my social media kind of stuff that I put out there is you know it's a bit haphazard I work full-time I've got the farm but I noticed that I had uh, like three people drop off kind of mid to early January and I was like oh that's a bit odd like you know my numbers have been steadily creeping up and all of a sudden there's a little dip and then I went back and had a look just to see whether there was something I'd posted that you know, might have offended people. And the only thing I'd posted was about my carnivore diet. So that got me thinking. And, and it's come up a couple of times for me because I'm new to this putting myself out there in social media world. I might look quite confident and I probably would be considered an extrovert by some people. But the idea of really putting my beliefs out there can be a little bit you know, if anybody, if any of you have done it, you'd know what I mean. It's something that you kind of hold a little bit back and go, gee, do I really want them to see me? (laughs) Uh, Now, there's a couple of people online that I follow that I just think are awesome. Uh, Leonie Dawson, no fucking holes barred. And yeah, she's awesome. She doesn't pretend to be anything that she isn't. And she tells you straight up who you are getting. Um, Denise Duffield Thomas is another one. She, she's a bit woo woo, but you know what? She doesn't give a shit. That's just her. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, move along. Um, and Tina Tower, who I was following for a long time and was part of her group. She is very much the case of if you don't have haters, you haven't really made it yet. So yeah, I think I've probably done pretty well in that. I've had a few people come back at me with, you know, pretty nasty comments over my time, particularly some of my TikTok videos where we've been dispatching chickens have been a bit off for some people. But you know what? Those people aren't my tribe. They're not my people. And if you're listening to this, I hope you are. But by the end of this, you may be thinking, what the hell? Um, So 
I'm going to give you the heads up now. I'm going to discuss some topics that probably will are very divisive. They can be very divisive and people can get really hot under the collar. Now, before I go any further, I just want to say, if you disagree with me, I am more than okay with that. I actually think healthy debate about topics is one of the really good things about our community, that we can have these discussions. And I think there's a quote somewhere that I saw online, it's just because I disagree with you, that doesn't mean I hate you. And that sums up me in a nutshell, because there's lots of things I disagree with people on, but that doesn't mean that I dislike the person. That just means that I have a very different view to them. And, you know, there's a couple of things I'm going to read out in a sec that might, you know, give you a bit of a heads up on on that kind of stuff. But before I jump into it all, I just want to remind everybody that I do have a free webinar coming up on the 12th of February at Australian Eastern Standard Time, 8am. So that's later in the evening on the Sunday, the 11th of February, uh, for those in the UK or the US or Canada. Um, And uh, if you haven't already registered for that, go along and register. It's all about backyard chicken coops. And we're going to discuss all the kinds of coops that you can get for your backyard and what's good and what's not. So, um, and obviously that's lead, that's the week that I have my backyard chicken keeping course open for registration. Uh, if you haven't got on the wait list for that, you can go and just go to www.mojohomestead.net and it's forward slash. I finally worked it out. It is definitely forward slash. Um, if you go to forward slash launch, you'll see a list of things that you can pick from to get onto my wait list for that course. So, uh, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about a few different topics and some are farming related and some aren't. But I want to read out a Dr. Zeus quote because, you know, when we're going to go the real full guns, let's go Dr. Zeus because, you know, that's legit shit, I'm sure. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. That's Dr. Zeus. Now, the other thing, and I found a little quote somewhere, but I couldn't work out who actually said it, is the irony is that when two people are in conflict, they're actually more alike than different. They both think they're right about the same topic, and yet neither can empathize with each other. And this comes out of the fact that I had a few people unfollow me because I was discussing my carnivore diet, um, which... I thought it was a little odd, you know, not asking them to go carnivore. But I guess if you were a very committed vegan who um, lived a plant-based lifestyle, me talking about eating carnivore lifestyle probably would be a bit of a trigger for you. So I then went on to have a conversation the day before Australia Day. So uh, for us here in Australia, we celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January. It's a public holiday. If it falls near the weekend, then people really love it because they call it the Australia Day Long Weekend. Um, A particular newspaper, local to me, uh, referred to it only as the Long Weekend. And a few of us kind of commented and went, "Uh, do you mean the Australia Day Long Weekend? And a young gentleman, I'm going to say young, I I don't know how old he was, but yeah, he kind of gave me the impression he was young, who was a first-generation Australian. Uh, came back at me quite savage and did the whole well you know why why do we have to call it Australia Day and my response was because that's what it's called it's that's the the public holidays called Australia Day 
and he got very very upset about it we ended up having a, a discussion which he, he came at me very heated and I, I don't buy into that like I just kind of went back at him and went well yeah, I'm not being silly it's just what it's called and and you know if, if you have a problem with what it's called maybe you'd need to assess why you have a problem um he went on to say that Australia's done nothing for him and that uh, Australia was invaded by England and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, but he also said that he's a first-generation Australian and um, that he didn't really like Australia. And and my response to that was, well, why, why don't you move? Like, if you really dislike Australia that much, why not go somewhere else? Which I, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. I lived and worked overseas for four years um, in Papua New Guinea and... You know i came back to australia and man i have never been so fucking happy to be home it i love png to any of my png listeners out there because i have a few friends who've worked and lived in png for some time i loved png but uh man i was glad i was born in australia after living overseas and it wasn't just png i have traveled to other countries as well i've been through most of asia um i've been through most of uh eastern europe eastern europe western europe western europe um, and the UK, Ireland, Scotland. Um, and I am pretty, pretty happy with being Australian. I have no problem saying that. I don't think it's um, obnoxious to say that you're proud of your country. Um, I certainly know my US friends are very proud to be Americans. Um, for the most part, there might be some things that they balk at, but we all do. I mean, at the moment, uh, our prime minister sometimes says things that i just kind of take a big deep breath in and go really really are we going down that okay but for the most part i love being australian and the idea of celebrating australia day to me and it's different for everybody and this is what i get that it is different for everybody but for me celebrating australia day is celebrating everything that we love about our country so the fact that we can we have so many freedoms that we have a very good um, community system. We have good hospitals and schools and things like that. We complain and bitch and moan, yeah, sure. But anybody that's travelled overseas would come back to Australia and go, wow, we actually are the lucky country. We've got lots of things that make us very, very glad to be Australian. Now, something that people do get a bee in their bonnet about, and it's kind of weird to me because I think, God, are we not teaching history at school? Is that... Some people get really excited about the fact that, oh, Australia Day wasn't always celebrated as Australia Day. And, and yeah, it wasn't celebrated, but that's because we just didn't used to have so many public holidays. And I mean, some of these people weren't even born when um, Australia's Day started getting celebrated in the late 80s. But I remember celebrating it in the late 80s and people go, no, it wasn't until the late 90s. And I'm like, no, I can remember celebrating it with my family as a kid. Uh, but it was actually set down in 1935. So it's been in existence since 1935. And the only reason that it is the 26th of January, even though people like to associate it with Captain Cook arriving and then also with um, uh, Arthur Phillip, the first governor of New South Wales, arriving um, into Australia and landing and settling with the convicts, <clears throat> which was also on the 26th of January, but the reason that date was picked was because Feder it's to celebrate our um, disassociation, our independence from Britain. 
and that occurred on the 1st of January 1901. I'm gonna, I hope I've got that correct now, 1901. My history was, I learned history a long time ago. Um, but 1st of January 1901 was our, set down our date for federation. And that's when Australia became a federated country and we severed some of our ties from Britain. Not all of them, but some of them. But the 1st of January is already a public holiday. So Australians being Australians, we want a public holiday for our Federation Day. And so the Federation Day, because the closest, most significant date to that 1st of January uh, for Australians was the 26th of January, the states, and to start with, it was only a few of the states celebrating on the 26th of January. Some had picked a date in May and June and October for celebrating it. But eventually all the states came together and decided that the 26th of January was the date that they would all celebrate it on. Now, it doesn't really matter to me what side of the fence you sit on and whether Australia Day should be celebrated on that date. Um, Indigenous folk in Australia uh, comment that it's Invasion Day. Um, I have issues with that because I think if we want to have a date that celebrates uh, or, or commiserates, um, indigenous um, issues I don't know that it should be the same day as Australia Day I have no problem with them having another day we have NAIDOC week where we celebrate our indigenous people uh, here in Australia and that goes for a week um, but I can't see why we can't have a date closer to that NAIDOC week that's that commiserates what has happened to indigenous people you know 200 years ago 230 years ago when, when Australia was first settled and, and certainly there is room for that to be done it just I don't know why people just get the bee in their bonnet over it anyway out of the 26 million people in Australia several thousand protested on Australia Day to say that they don't want to celebrate Australia Day on Australia Day and the rest of us had lamb on the barbie <laughs> thanks to our national pastime of barbecuing and uh, spent the time with our family and friends if we didn't have to work um, and unfortunately some had to work so my hat off to you guys I didn't have to work luckily I no longer do that kind of shift work uh, but I used to have to work on Australia Day from time to time so I know what it feels like anyway so Australia Day got me thinking about it and then the next one that got me thinking about it was um, two other issues that I see coming up all the time one is religion and I just I struggle to get my head around this I am not a religious person however I have a lot of friends who are religious and are regular churchgoers both my kids went to a Catholic school for primary schooling. So a lot of the mums that I know through school circles are religious and regularly attend church. Um, they're very Christian people. <laughs> they're always so lovely to me. They're always uh, very accepting. I can remember sitting in a church service and having no fucking idea what I was doing. And it, you know, for any that haven't sat in a Catholic church service, there's certain actions and things that you have to do at certain points of prayer services. I had no idea what I was doing. And the, this mum sitting next to me was so awesome. She just literally sat there and went, hey, CJ, do this, now do this, now stand up, now sit down, now, yeah. And if she hadn't have been there, I would have felt like such a goose because I had no idea what I was doing. That being said, oh, there's the hate online sometimes, re-religion, and, you know, we've got everything happening over in Gaza at the moment. But it does my head in that a religious group, so a group of people who uh, worship a God, who is telling them, and I, this is my understanding of all religions, whoever the head of that church or, or that 
you know deity is that they pray to tells them how they should live their life and what kind of person they should be in their life and I think that could be said for most religions I don't think there's any religions where they're kind of going well this is what I did but I don't care if you don't live your life like that Um, but those a lot of those kind of behavioral traits that they're asking people to to be and do are to be forgiving and loving and caring and community-minded and then these people are just not at all community-minded and they're really really um, non-christian for the christians Uh, like it's very harsh they just seem to really want to uh, fight and not just fight but hurt and kill and maim and rape and do horrible things to each other and so i kind of look and go wow you know are these religions really that nasty like are they really is that what the driving force is behind these religions to be that horrible to other people on the earth now i know that for some religions um non-believers are considered to be the enemy of the church which in itself really fucks with my head because i don't understand why you would not be trying to convert people to your church and to your religion uh, rather than just trying to kill everybody (laughs) but yeah religion is a huge one that causes all kinds of issues now the next one is one that i am probably going to offend some people with and i've tried really hard to to find a way to get my head around this and i can't do it and that is uh gender dysphoria I studied psychology um, when I was at university when I was first starting my first bachelor which was a bachelor in accounting believe it or not and so I do understand a little bit of psychology probably enough to get myself into trouble Uh, but also to having uh, suffered from PTSD on and off for the last 10 years I also have a pretty good understanding of psychology because I've had to go through lots of hoodles and lots of hoops to get to where I am in remission now. Now, when I look at the situation worldwide, and it, you know, it's less than one percent of the population worldwide that have an issue with um, gender identity or gender dysphoria. I see gender dysphoria as a mental health issue, and and I'm sure that will offend some people. And if it does, sorry, not sorry. Um, I I don't feel the need to. Um, pretty up my view on it like religion you know how it confuses me I don't pretty up my view on that I I think there are some religious groups that are really nasty um I think that there are some people re-Australia Day that probably need to just accept the fact that Australia Day is staying well with gender issues I look and kind of go no you know if a schizophrenic came along and told me that they could hear a voice talking to them in their right ear and it was telling them to go and kill somebody at no point ever and I have dealt with a lot of people with mental health issues through my work through my day job at no point ever am I going to say to that person yes I can hear that voice and yes they are telling you to do that and yes I totally understand I'm never going to be at that point so when somebody says to me I was born into the body of a man but I now feel like I am a woman I am never going to be at a point where I can say yes I totally understand that I have no problem with that you you absolutely a woman I the biological scientific kind of side of my brain is just screaming no no something's gone wrong in the wiring 
um, if, if you've got male DNA and male uh, physical attributes, if you've got a dick, then you're a bloke. You're a man. You obviously, to me, would have some kind of wiring issue where the brain and the body aren't talking to each other. And I mean, certainly the um, the American Institute of Psychiatry are listed as gender dysphoria. Um, and I don't understand why so many people are really comfortable in going, yes, if that man says he's a woman now, he's he's definitely a woman. I just, I can't get my head around it. And so if I've offended you in that and you're not going to follow me anymore, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I am not trying to convince anybody. Um, I know that that's a very polarizing view. I'm not trying to convince anybody. But for me, when people try and convince me, I go back to that little quote that I said at the beginning. The irony is that when two people are in conflict, they're actually more alike than they are different. They both think they're right about the same topic, yet neither can empathise with each other. Well, yeah, 100%. And I can't empathise on that one. Um, in my day job, I sometimes was required to tow a certain line, a political line, in relation to uh, gender issues. And while I'm at work, I do what I have to do because I'm employed to do that. Uh, but my personal beliefs on it are that people who have gender dysphoria really need um, psychiatric help a and I hope that they get it um, I've got a couple of links that I've kind of that I'll put in the show notes but uh, there's a lovely lady uh, by the name of Kathleen Stock who I think she's English she worked at a university and um, she uh, I, I found her I was actually looking for something else and found her on YouTube and she does a great little chat about what she feels about gender dysphoria and I just sat back and went, wow, she's so nice about it. She's not being mean or rude or anything like that. I really kind of got where she was coming from in that, you know, I, I, I'm not saying these people should be treated poorly. I'm saying that they should actually be helped. And that's kind of the impression that I got of her too, that she really wants to get them help. Um, and she really wants to help them be able to manage things within society. So gender issues huge controversy I'm uh, you know there's lots of things about it that I have issues with one of which and I will never back down on this one is that um, uh, biological males should never compete in women's sport I, I have a real strong opinion about that probably because I have a daughter who is competing in sport and if somebody who was a biological male was competing against her my concern would be not only that she would never stand a chance of actually getting anywhere uh, because men are always going to be biological even with you know hormone blockers on board they're always going to be stronger faster um, they have a better way of building up muscle than women do so so straight away she'd be behind the eight ball but I'd also be worried she was going to get hurt um, and certainly, you know, there's been some issues in the US over um, biological males being allowed into certain sports areas. I just don't agree with it. Um, there's so many things out there on the web you can go and have a read of if you're not sure, if you're on the fence on it. But if you could try and put yourself in the place of the girls who are trying to get ahead in sports, um, the whole reason we divided men's and women's sports in the first place was because men have the ability to build muscle, they're faster, 
you know, even Serena Williams did an interview and said she could never beat Andy Murray. He offered to play her and she said, no, I don't want to get beat. And she's our best tennis player. She's our female number one, or was at the time, was our female number one, and she would not play a man in, in tennis. She said it's like playing two different kinds of sports. Um, so I think I think that says a lot. When I think we really need to put it back to not how the biological male who wants to compete with women feels, but how do the women feel who are now having to compete with a biological male? Um, you know, I think we've victim blamed enough and now we need to say to the people who are going to be on the back foot how do you feel about it you know are you okay with it I mean if it was sexual harassment happening would we be saying oh but but he doesn't mean it he's, he's not trying to be mean to her no <laughs> we would be going to her and saying how does it make you feel and if she said it makes me feel uncomfortable and like I'm being harassed well we would listen to that and pay attention to that I would hope I certainly would um, anyway, the last one I want to chat on before we talk about farming controversies is um, immigration. Now, immigration is another one that seems to get people's backs up. Um, and there's a, a fantastic TEDx talk that I watched years ago, and it's still on the web, and it's still very relevant. And it's a discussion about immigration by a guy called Roy Beck. And Roy discusses immigration using gumballs, <laughs> which I don't know, maybe maybe because he's using the gumballs, it makes it, you know, you can visualize it so much better. But he discusses whether or not immigration actually works. And if, if it could work, how would it work and why it's not working? And he actually has a very compelling argument. Um, in the past, I've always thought, well, you know, immigration at the end of the day, yeah, we let people in because they, you know, sometimes it's a it's a sympathetic thing as far as they're going to be treated poorly in their home country. Um, sometimes it's a, um, a financial or um, job-related thing that we let people in. But after watching this TEDx talk, and it was a couple of years ago I watched it, I kind of walked away going, shit, I actually don't agree with immigration anymore I, I actually think that immigration should be the option of last resort um, he has such a compelling argument for why immigration is not effective and why it is not going to help those most at risk and that's and I think with immigration I think most people I would hope most people in the community would say well immigration is there to protect those who are most um, you know at, at risk of financial or economic um hardship but the way he describes it you kind of sit back and go oh shit no immigration is not fixing it for these people it's not doing anything in fact it's probably making their lives worse the way that he describes it and uh, so i'll put the link in for that tedx talk as well because it was a really good talk and every time anybody says anything to me at work now and goes oh immigration we've got to allow more people into australia i go whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you've got to go see this tedx talk this guy is all over it and and you know he i don't think he has any solutions as such there are no solutions for the population crisis that we're having in some countries but he certainly discusses why it is is not beneficial to the lowest in the socioeconomic scale in those countries. So they're just our standard everyday controversies that people controversies I can't even say it that people have with certain topics. And let's face it, they can be really polarizing. I've seen people have punch ups over some of these topics. I've seen family members refuse to speak to each other over disagreeing on them. But remember. 
remember what Dr. Z said. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. So your family should respect your opinion no matter what. Now, the reason that I started thinking about all this was because over the last couple of weeks, if you haven't already noticed, there's been a bit of a hoo-ha on social media over a farm called Ballerina Farms. Now, Ballerina Farms is Hannah, and I think his name's Daniel. Um, Hannah's husband, Daniel, um, is the son of the JetBlue airline founder or owner, or I, I couldn't find a lot of detail, but he he's from the family who own, run JetBlue Airlines. And so they are not short of a quid. They are relatively well off. Um, they're a, I think, early 30s couple with now eight children. Um, I think she grew up in Utah as a Mormon. And they, after traveling around and working, she was a ballerina. She was actually a trained Juilliard, Juilliard, Juilliard ballerina. Um, and he was studying and they lived in South America for some time and then they came back to North America and bought a farm. Now I think the farm's in North Dakota or South Dakota um, and I went and had a look because I couldn't understand what all the hoo-ha was about so I went and had a look and they run a farm, they have chickens, they have pigs, they have a whole bunch of other things. All looks really awesome. Um, she clearly is a beautiful woman who always looks very manicured on the <laughs> on the videos uh she has eight children um and they you know because they they're not short of a quid they've probably got a little bit of home help but they don't talk about having any home help i don't know how she'd go homeschooling eight kids on her own uh, while helping hubby around the farm but we don't know she might just be a really friggin organized person she could be one of these people who's just an absolute machine when it comes to scheduling and saying right this is what we're doing when and all the rest of it but there was a big hoo-ha online because people are saying that she should have come out and said we're wealthy and the reason that we can live this wonderful homesteading lifestyle farming is because we're wealthy and I kind of disagree on that one I you know at the end of the day anything promoting a homestead lifestyle I'm going to be all for yeah, I think making it look pretty and making it look like you can wear Laura Ashley dresses while you're feeding pigs is probably a bit of a stretch. But I also like to think that most people looking at social media have got at least half a brain and can work out that those videos are dossied up a bit for, for social media. I don't think anybody believes that somebody walks around their farm all the time with a full face of makeup and beautiful clothes and, and all that kind of thing. And certainly on her social media page, her kids look like they're covered in mud all the time. <laughs> you know, there's an incident on there where a chook, a rooster attacked her daughter and she had blood streaming down her face. I mean, not every image is this beautiful manicured social media. Certainly if you look at other influences or in other industries, there's a lot more prettiness going on than what there is in anything homesteading. But there's some people that got their real bee in their bonnet about Ballerina Farms and the fact that she hasn't kind of come out and said, we have all this money and the only reason we can farm like this is because we have this backing of his family. Now, yeah, she, maybe she should have said something, but, 
you know, it was her choice not to. I mean, that would be like me coming out and saying, oh, this is how much I owe in my mortgage and this is how much I pay off each week. It's not really anybody else's business. Um, the fact that she makes everything look beautiful, well, you know, like I say, if, if people are really that dumb that they can't work out that farming and homesteading isn't always pretty and isn't always clean and tidy, then, yeah, I just, I kind of feel for the girl. I think she's copping a lot of flack for basically because it's tall poppy syndrome. People are just a bit jealous that she's got lots of things that they don't have. Now, on that... I remember a couple of years ago reading something where somebody had commented about um, Joel Salatin's farm. So Joel Salatin, for those that you don't know, Polyface Farms, he is probably the godfather of modern regenerative agriculture. Um, I think I own just about all of his books. I'm a little bit of a fangirl, but he is um, he took over his family farm and has continued to run it in this regenerative agricultural sense. And he's a very smart man, and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to farming. And I commented on a social media post at one point that, you know, his his chicken tractors are what we were using, and we really love them. And somebody snapped straight back and said, well, you've got to remember, we're all starting from a different place to him. He got that farm given to him by his father. And I thought, wow, jealous much? You know, I mean, lots of people didn't get their farms given to them. But lots of people did get their farms given to them. And that doesn't mean that they're going to run that farm any better or any more financially profitable than the next person. Just because they got the farm given to them, that doesn't make them an awesome farmer. He is an awesome farmer because he's put the work in and used his brains and watched and, and trialed things. And when he's made a mistake, he's gone back and rehashed it. And he's quite upfront in his books about that, that he's made mistakes and, you know, he's, he's fixed his mistakes. Um, it just seemed like such a harsh response because, well, yeah, he did get his farm given to him. And so what? Like, I know lots of people in Australia who end up taking over the family farm and and they're not great farmers they're not doing anything better than anybody else and they're not certainly you know learning from their mistakes and then this leads on to what happened the other week so a fortnight ago I had a friend who is a lovely friend of mine uh, who I've known for 20 odd years and we, we have this kind of friendship where we catch up you know once every couple of months and we talk like we saw each other last week um, and she came out to the farm. She actually hadn't been physically out to the farm since we bought the big farm. So three years she hadn't been out here. And she came out, she's got a lovely big four-wheel drive, and we went for a drive up the back and I showed her all the farm and the beehives and the cows and horses and everything. And as we were coming back down the hill, we were chatting about um, you know, the environment out here. And the topic came up of climate change. Now, I'm always very hesitant to discuss my views on climate change with people because there are so many haters online. And, you know, when I say what I think, the number of people that come back at me and go, oh, what would you know? And you don't know what you're talking about. And you're a climate change denier and all this kind of shit. And so I tend to just keep my opinion to myself because at the end of the day, I don't think having a physical or a verbal argument with somebody is productive. And if they are set in their ways, they are going to stay set in their ways. Nothing I say is going to get them to, to look at things from the other's point of view. It's just no point. So I have kind of given up 
in mentioning it to people. But she asked me directly and said, what do I think of climate change? And I said, well, I actually don't really believe that climate change is what the government and the media are saying it is. I do believe that humans are grossly over-polluting the country and, and the world. But I don't think that we're in a climate crisis. I think that we have cyclical uh, changes in our climate. And while those cyclical changes in our climate are absolutely affected by pollution, I don't believe that it's a climate, climate crisis that's going to see the end of the world. And, you know, I'm a little older than most people, so I'm probably a bit jaded because I've seen so many headlines over the last, you know, 40 years that have said, you know, the world is ending, basically. We're going to have acid rain and there'll be no food left. The oceans will be flooding Sydney Harbour, you know, all these other things. So I'm probably a little blasé about it now. But I've also done a little bit of reading on it because, you know, being a farmer, I'm really interested in the environment. I'm really interested in soil health. I'm really interested in weather and what our weather is doing. And let's face it, you can't trust the Bureau of Meteorology here in Australia because they get it wrong more than they get it right. Um, so I've done a little bit of research. Anyway, I, that's, that, I said to her, that's it. I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't believe it. I can, call me a denier. I, I don't really care. I, I just I don't believe the media climate crisis is what it is. And she started laughing and she said, it's so funny. She is an urban dweller. She lives in the city. She's never lived out on a farm. But she knows a lot of people, including family members who live on farms. And she said, everybody I speak to who lives on a farm says there's no climate crisis. Everybody who says there's a climate crisis live in town. And she said, I just can't help but see that huge, you know, polarizing view of people on farms don't believe it people in the city do believe it anyway so that was one that I, I said to her look it, it polarizes so many people so I don't normally talk about it but then I thought you know what you're my people you listen to me if you don't like it you can take it or leave it but why lie about how I feel about that now if you're interested in learning a little bit about some of the research that I've done myself and I think everybody should really dig in and find out this information for themselves I don't think you should just trust what the media tell us the media get it wrong so often their job is and you have to remember this their job is to sell uh, not papers anymore but sell news their job is to sell news and if they don't have something to sell news on then they would be out of a job so <laughs> it's like an insurance company arguing with you about your insurance claim their job is to make money for the shareholders. Media outlets, it's their job is to sell news. They're going to find ways to sell news no matter what. What you need to do is find your own way of getting more information. So there's a gentleman by the name of Professor William Happer. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. He was a professor over in the UK. He's been out to Australia a couple of times and done some talks awesome awesome guy has so much good information he was actually involved in a lot of climate stuff back in the day and has since backpedaled and gone no 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 we got it wrong we, we what we reported wasn't right so i would encourage you to go look him up i'll put a link in the show notes for that one as well the other couple of things that i find within <laughs> farming circles that cause so much controversy and so much argument are plant-based diets and as you know, I've been trialing carnivore. So I read a book uh, probably six months ago by Jane Buxton uh, called The Great Plant-Based Con. And oh my God, talk about open my eyes up. Um, look, rogue 
cropping is never going to be good for the environment. There's no way to make it good for the environment, um, not in a commercial situation, because to row crop, you have to continuously plant the same crop in the same soil uh, in order to make it financially viable. It's never going to work. <laughs> like it's terrible for the soil. Um, so if you um, are at all curious or are all uh, open-minded enough, if you are not predominantly a meat eater, I could not encourage you enough to read the, the Great Plant-Based Con. Um, if you have a family member who is adamant that cows are killing the planet that's a great book for them to read because my god she goes into the science of it and some of it is very um science minded it's it's almost like a textbook so it is a hard read but god i've, I've, I've put it on my wish list to get a hard copy i actually listen to it on audiobook uh, because that's where i listen to most of my books because i'm always driving but i want an actual copy of that book uh, raw milk is another one that causes so much issue and I've said it before I've done a there's an episode that I did well, I'll put that in the show notes the link back link to the episode but I did an episode on raw milk I am a raw milk convert um, but but I also am open-minded enough to accept the fact that when we're feeding the masses pasteurized milk is sometimes the way to go and it has to be sometimes because we we have to get milk out to everybody so I would encourage people to buy local raw milk if it's legal in your country. Um, in Australia, it's only goats raw milk that is that's legal. Cows raw cows milk is illegal, uh, but you can buy raw goats milk. Um, and I would encourage you if you've had any lactose issues to trial raw milk before you write off milk completely as a food group. Um, and please, please don't have grain-based milks and nut juices, as I call them. Um, they are terrible for the environment and they are terrible for your health. Uh, there's a few people coming out now talking about it, that just how disastrous it is, it is for your health. Uh, you'd be better off going without any milk rather than having nut juice. Um, Animal-based farming is another one that causes so much grief. There are so many people, oh, we need to rewild these areas and, you know, having animal farming is terrible. It's terrible for the animal. The farmers are getting all this great... You know, they, they're get, getting all the money off these animals and the poor animals just being treated terribly and and that kind of thing. And honestly, I don't know a livestock farmer that treats their animals terribly. <laughs> and the reason for that is because those animals are the farmer's livelihood. And if they treat the animals terribly, then their livelihood is going to go out the window. But that being said, they're also livestock custodians. Um, and like, like being a farm or soil custodian, um, you have to treat it properly to get the best out of it. It's, you know, we, we have a huge responsibility to treat these animals properly as much as we have to treat the soil properly. And anybody who doesn't understand the importance of ruminants um, being kept on farmland needs to go and have a look at Holistic Management by Alan Savory. He, um, years and years of experience. I don't think anybody has the same background and experience and knowledge that he does. But he goes through and absolutely confirms <coughs> that ruminants are a must for soil health and therefore for regenerative agriculture to work the way that it does. Animal-based farming is an absolute must. Um, and I can't, there's no, I would do him a disservice trying to explain it, but 
Uh, we certainly use it here. Our next door neighbour, who's an ex-scientist, um, who's retired now, he uses regenerative agricultural practices as in paddock rotation with his cows and sheep. And honestly, his land and soil, he's 10, 15 years ahead of me, his land and soil just looks so perfect. The soil's beautiful. The grass grows amazingly. All of his trees are healthy. His water catchments are, are doing exactly what they're meant to do. I just, yeah, I, seeing it in practice, I don't think anybody could disagree with it. But the facts, the, the actual ins and outs of it, if you don't have time to read his books, Alan Savior also does a TEDx talk, which is an awesome talk that he does about ruminants being necessary for soil health. Now, the last one, which is probably the big one that causes the most grief at the moment, is that a gentleman by the name of Bill Gates um, is actually right now the largest private owner of farmland in the United States. I don't know whether that horrifies me as much as it horrifies you, but anybody owning that much farmland, one single entity owning that much farmland, kind of blows my mind. It's, I would much rather farm stay in smaller local owned um, hands than to go into a big conglomerate like that. But what really freaks me out is that he has no understanding or knowledge of regenerative agriculture. He, his intention is to row crop. And as I said before, row cropping is just about the worst thing you could do for soil health. But his intention is not just to row crop, but to row crop grains for the purposes of making fake meat, which blows my mind. Nature made cows and sheep and goats and chickens and pigs and deer so that we could eat real, healthy, perfectly sustainable um, nutrients that, that are the, the fuel that we need to live. And this person has come in, bought up a whole bunch of land, intends to get rid of animal farming, row crop and kill the soil in order to make fake meat that has to be filled with artificial vitamins to ensure that humans are getting their correct nutrients. <laughs> it blows my mind, folks. I, If you're in the States and you're listening to this, I have no concept of how you are not going insane thinking about that. I just don't get why we are going so far away from nature when, <laughs> when nature has got this perfect food group for us, why we would then go and make a fake food group to compensate when we could just be producing more of that beautiful nutrient food group anyway they're my controversies uh, and how I feel about them like I said if you've made it all the way to the end you're one of my people <laughs> and if you're not one of my people but you made it all the way to the end well good on you that means that we can have a normal debate about things that we don't necessarily agree on but we're humans and adults and we can have a conversation and we don't hate each other just because we disagree. And good on you. You are one of my people if you're like that because that's the kind of people I like to have around me. Now, and the reason is, and I'm going to read this last little blurb. I actually copied this out of the dictionary because this is the thing that does my head in, I think, with most people. It's a thing called confirmation bias. And 
I have probably been absolutely guilty of it. Um, certainly with my view on climate change, I have probably sought out people who who are going to confirm what I have already wanted to believe about that topic. But I feel like I have gone out of my way to, to read and listen to other people's views as well. So, you know, I get that our pollution levels are insanely high and we're not helping ourselves. Um, but confirmation bias is a person's tendencies to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with their existing beliefs. It's a biased approach to decision making and is largely unintentional. So you don't even know you're doing it. And it results in a person ignoring information that is inconsistent with their beliefs. These beliefs can include a person's expectations in a given situation and their predictions about a particular outcome. So confirmation bias. If you think you're guilty of confirmation bias, what I ask you to do this week is to go and find something that you have a pretty strong belief on. If you are very strongly gender affirming um, surgery, uh, go and have a look at, at the lady, what was the name that I mentioned earlier? Um, Kathleen Stock, go and have a look at her stuff. Um, if you are very strongly for immigration, go and have a look at Roy Beck's TEDx talk. Um, if you think, oh, you know, I, Farming, farming could never be pretty or clean or anything. Go and have a look at Ballerina Farms. See what you think. Um, if you're adamant that a plant-based diet is the only way to go, I beg you to go and read The Great Plant-Based Con, please. <laughs> anyway, let me know. I very rarely get feedback off people, but please let me know if there is something that I've raised that you kind of go, well, no, Cass, you're doing that confirmation bias thing. You should go and have a read of this. Let me know what I should go and have a read of in order to, to give me a more even opinion or, or thought process on something. Anyway, till next week, uh, have a awesome week as we move out of the first month of the year. I can't believe it's already at the end of January and I will talk to you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.